everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feeling. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. Okay, so I'm excited for this conversation today, Dave. This is probably one of the most relevant conversations we could be having at this point and something that uh, has been relevant, I guess, for at least a year now and will continue to be relevant going forward and more and more people seem to be talking about it and seem to be interested in it. So today we're going to talk all about immunity and how your gut affects immune function. Yeah, it is like it, it is a really relevant topic. It's a hot topic and I think it's like really important, like always, to give people a bit of a like an overview, like what is the immune system? What does it really entail? Um, what are the building blocks that you need for it? Yeah, okay. And if we just talk about, maybe we just start with, you know, like I'll try and dumb this down as much as I can, okay. If we just talk about like what is an immune response, what's happening when you yep. when, when there is an immune response taking place in the body. So this is the way to look at it is when, you, when you're having an immune response, initially there's, you, you have like, um, like macrophages, okay? Now, I know that sounds really technical to begin with, yeah, okay? But when I'm referring to macrophages, what their job is, okay, because now we're talking about your body's ability to respond to like a foreign material or a foreign microorganism, okay, like an antigen, okay, um, or, or a flu or a virus, just to give you some examples there, okay? And so what the macrophages do, an example of a macrophage would be something like a monocyte, Okay, that's a particular white blood cell, and that's part of your innate immune system, like initial responders. And we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more, okay? And so what it essentially does, it sort of like recognizes the foreign material. So it recognizes it, okay? And then essentially what it does is it tries to swallow it in the more simple, simple terms, okay? Then after this, okay, you've got uh, what we call B cells, okay? Now, B cells, there's a high amount of B cells actually within a particular area within the within the gut. It's called gut-associated lymphoid tissue. We're going to break down this a little bit more, okay? Um, there's high amounts of like M cells, B cells, and T cells, and that's why there's such a high amount of your immune system located within this region, okay? They basically say about 70% of your entire immune system is located in gut-associated lymphoid tissue. This is why it's so important, okay? But a lot of the time, they're just not talking about the gut when it comes to immunity, Mm -hmm. yeah, okay? And so what the B cells do is they actually allow us to produce these protein-like antibodies, okay? And the the protein antibodies, what they do is they um, they sort of, they bind, okay? They they, And they bind with the, you know, the virus, okay? Just as an example, okay? So they bind with the virus and they sort of, that that enables them to like label it and people are going to go like, what does that mean? Like label it, okay? Like sort of like tag it, okay? Like ready, we've got to deal with that, okay? And then the T cells, which is part of like your acquired immune system or your secondary line of defense, okay? This most simple terms, they destroy it, okay? Now with that, okay, you also have the production of um, like cytokines, okay? And in the most layman's ter- terms, so people can associate with this, Okay, when you've got more like cytokine activity and, the, you know, a, a big point of conversation over the last like year and a half has been like the cytokine storm, mm-hmm. yeah, okay? 
And, and when you're responding to particular viruses and there's a high amount of cytokine storm, okay, there can be a lot of collateral damage that takes place within the epithelium, within the cells and within the tissue, yeah, okay? And so cytokines, just last thing, mate, because I know you want to come in from that point, yeah, okay? But if you've got like a lot of cytokine activity, I don't want people to th- think of this as like a bad thing, okay? Because if you had cytokine activity, it's part of the normal immune response, okay? But you might get things like fevers, Okay, like fevers aren't bad. Okay, it's the priming of the immune system here. Okay, and then you might get things like aches. Yeah, okay, or you might just get like a runny nose, and that would be that could be a sign that there's high amount of uh, like they're just protein messengers uh, taking place, and that's a, just a snapshot of that sort of initial like immune response. Yeah, I mean, you kind of answered my my question a little bit that day. So essentially, what you're saying is this: a lot of these symptoms we might get with a, an active infection, they're actually more symptoms of, of cytokine activity than it is of the infection itself, isn't it? So whether it's yeah. a fever, whether it's it's joint pain, like you said, aches, pains, you know, fatigue, these tend to just be what we're experiencing because of that immune response which we've mounted. It's not necessarily a symptom of the infection or the virus or, or whatever that thing is, is it? Correct. Yeah, okay. And then, I, look, I think it's just really important to break this down, and, and, and this will sound really simple, okay? Like if we had in a, like, a, like an example of an immune response, okay? Um, like an example of that, like maybe if you picked up a biology book, would be like you cutting your arm, okay? Because if you cut your arm, there's obviously the possibility of some sort of infection potentially, Okay, and that creates an immune response, true? Okay, so that response that I'm talking about like takes place, yeah, okay? Um, now, it's an example of an immune response, but what I would say, is it a very good example of an immune response? Yeah, it is one, but it's probably not one that is taking place all the time because what you need to ask yourself is how frequently are you really cutting your arm or cutting your leg or whatever that might be? It happens, just doesn't happen all the time, okay? But when we talk about frequency of like antigen or antibody response or immune response, in the layman's terms, okay, some of the areas where we're having the highest amount of immune response, an area would be like the lungs, okay? Now, why? Because you're breathing things in, you're breathing particles in, okay? Now, you, you know, once again, you're not just breathing in the cleanest air in the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Um, and so, you know, there, there can be allergens in there, okay? Like you know, an example of like an allergen would be something like pollen, yeah, okay? Um, you know, like there can be uh, particular pollutants and so forth, and that would create like an antibody response or an immune response within the lungs, and we might break that down a little bit more, yeah, okay? Um, and, and, and essentially these particles, they hit the most protective physical barrier in the human body, which is the epithelium or the mucosal cells, and there's many different types of epithelium within the lungs, but some of the major ones are like goblet cells, cubit oil cells, squamous cells, okay? These are some... But this is just connective tissue. It's just type one collagen, but it's it's a barrier. And we'll break that down a little bit more. You cut, but so on your example there, Dave, with the, if you cut your arm or you get a splinter or something like that, is there a difference in the immune response that someone's getting or, or mounting if they have an acute kind of, you know, whether that's a cut or or a splinter or something like that, compared to a bacterial infection or a viral infection? Is it the same immune immune response that's occurring, or does that differ? It's still, it's still creating like a, an immune response within the body, okay, like whether, you know, there is like a, a cut or abrasion, yeah, okay. I mean, once again, the severity of what I'm talking about, like when, when that immune response is taking place, like, like the example of because another area where there's a high amount of immune response taking place 
would be within the gastrointestinal lining, okay, because once again, we're frequently eating, okay. Now, a lot of people say, well, I eat really clean food. Just so you understand that even if you eat clean food, it creates like an immune response because essentially it's like an identification process, okay. So the epithelium have to identify things like the amines and the uh, the, the amino acids and even things like, you know, uh, particular molecules within the food, okay. It's like an identification and that creates an immune response. So you generally, you know, one of the points that I was bringing up, there's a higher amount of immune response taking place within the epithelium, within the within the lungs and the gastrointestinal tract, yeah, okay. And, and sometimes when we talk about that response, because that can uh, cause a high amount of trigger mechanism responses, okay, uh, and then that means you can uh, have a higher production of like antibodies, like immunoglobulins, that's a trigger mechanism, okay, and then you have more cell activation, like white blood cells, okay, and then you have more mediator response, and that's things like the cytokines and the interleukins and histamine would be a mediator, so high amounts of histamine, and you, you would say that the severity of, you know, the, maybe a particular virus or, you know, the, the actual antigen itself can create a little bit more of a storm. Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. So, you know, um, that's what I would say in that instance. Yeah, okay. And so you can get bit, a bit more of a uh, in heightened immune response in that instance. So you've talked about innate immune function. You touched a little bit on this secondary immune function, acquired immune function. So we get this infection and initially it's the innate immune system which is responding to it, yeah? What happens if it can't eliminate that source of infection or inflammation, if, if maybe our immune function is not, um, you know, not strong enough or, you know, what happens in that scenario? Yeah, okay. So it's, it's, it's probably important for people to understand like, like when we're talking about w- what's involved in the immune system, okay, like we need to understand what are, those, what are those areas and what's involved in those areas, okay, because then you could, you could understand if you can't really elicit that in, in terms of some of the negative, you know, responses that could potentially take place within mm-hmm. the body, okay, because, you know, you could say that that can now um, – you know, these things, they can, it's like translocation where you can get, um, you know, these things that get into like the hepatic portal system, like bloodstream, liver, okay? And then what, like when they're within the blood, okay, they can also, now they can affect like your mitochondria and your cells and even things like your DNA and your RNA, okay? Um, and so you're, like your ability to respond to these antigens and these foreign microorganisms is obviously extremely important, yeah, okay? And if we look at like the, the innate immune system, like what Jake was talking about, like initial responder, there's two compartments within that, yeah, okay? Uh, and so one compartment that doesn't, from my perspective, I'm sure you're the same, Jake, that doesn't necessarily get talked about all the time, okay, is the physical barriers, mm. okay? And that's, what, that's based on the, on the concept of terrain theory, which is not very well accepted, okay, the whole thing of terrain theory, okay, having a bit of a laugh, but it's, it's truth, yeah, okay? Um, and so... <laughs> The, when we talk about terrain theory, we're talking about, you know, connective tissue, okay? So we're talking about like, um, and you know, there's all these different types of collagen. There's like six different types of collagen. The major one is type 1 collagen. Now, an example of a connective tissue that you can see is your skin, okay? So your skin is connective tissue. It's a barrier. I'm not taking away from that, and that's why it's all this focus, like wash your hands, okay? It's, it's, a, it's a barrier, yeah, okay? Um, but we need to understand, okay, that the most protective physical barrier is the epithelium and they are connective tissue. I mean, there's even connective tissue. There's like a matrix around things like red blood cells, 
Okay, so connective tissue is is so important. Yeah, okay. So epithelium, Dave. So that I mean, people may not be familiar with that term. I know we've mentioned it a few times. So this is just like lining tissue or lining cells, and it's lining that could be in the well, is in the stomach, the lungs, the intestines, uh, the the bladder. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like you can get this throughout the body. Okay, and so you know, you know, the examples that that I quite frequently use and, and Jake's the same, like, you know, you've got them in the blood brain barrier, the epithelium. Okay. You've even got like epithelium at the top of the gallbladder. Okay. You've got them within the small intestine, you know, colon, which is the top section of the large intestine within the large intestine, the stomach, and then the lungs. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, we've got the epithelium throughout the body. Okay. Um, and they are part of this physical barrier that I was talking about. Okay. And really, the role of the epithelium is to make sure that certain things are permeable and certain things are impermeable. And that's that, yeah, obviously there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Okay. And we'll probably talk more about this another time. Okay. Because they're involved in so much more than that. Yeah. Okay. But you know, that's why they're, they're so important in this innate immune system. Yeah. Okay. And, and when we're talking about this immune response and these things like, you know, cytokine storms and so forth, if you use the example of something like, the lungs and then something like a virus hits the lungs yeah okay and then that that creates like an engine response or like like an immune response okay and in response to that okay the epithelium okay they produce particular types of like proteins and they produce like things like cytokines beta defenses okay these types of things in response to that yeah okay now what we need to understand the the more severe the cytokine storm okay in terms of more pro-inflammatory proteins and so forth, there's a little bit more collateral damage to the epithelium, okay, so to that connective tissue. Sounds like doom and gloom a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, okay, but the actual epithelium actually produce protein mechanisms to actually help with the replenishment of the epithelium so they can repair. Does that make sense, okay? But where the, where the issue can really lie here, okay, is if the epithelium were already compromised to begin with. Okay, because there's two ways you can look at something like this, like with a virus, okay? You can look at controlling the virus and what is the virus and, and what does that mean or actually improving the area that interacts with the virus, okay? And the area that interacts with the virus in this instance, just as an example, okay, is the, is the epithelium, okay? And that's connective tissue and that's a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about and especially things like gut-associated lymphoid tissue, okay? Because... Um, and, you know, like I, I know Jake will love this stuff, okay, but, um, you know, it's really interesting when you look at something like gut-associated lymphoid tissue, okay, because we're, we're just talking about tissue. Well, what's some of the key building blocks that we need for, for that tissue? Amino acids. Mm. Okay, so what happens if people have got like amino acid deficiencies and a lot of the things that have actually found that are really effective for gut-associated lymphoid tissue like glutamine, okay, and a lot of time, depending on the person, we'll use glutamine in a, in a gut healing protocol, mm. okay, um, and there's actually evidence to show that glutamine in some uh, research papers actually lowers um, like pro-inflammatory cytokine activity, okay? Mm. So, and, that, and, and, and glutamine, you know, when we're talking about like type 1 collagen and connective tissue is one of the key amino acids that we need for it. Now, Dave, I, I don't want to derail you here, but this is something that I learned from you a while ago about glutamine, um, that it may not always be the first choice of supplement for some people. And as someone maybe has a heightened immune response occurring, maybe high immunoglobulins or high SIGA, they may actually respond worse to that. Can you just touch on that quickly? 
Yeah. I mean, once again, like, you know, glutamine should be, well, it is the most abundant amino acid in the body. Yeah. Okay. Um, and your body will use glutamine for whatever it really needs to use glutamine for. Yeah. Okay. It's like a su- substrate for your immune system. Okay. So you need it for connective tissue. That's why it's good for things like skin, so forth. But in some instances, okay, because it does help with, you know, a particular immunoglobin like secretory IgA. Okay. Now, sometimes in some instances that can be, uh, the secretory IGA levels can be like really, really high in that instance. Yeah, okay. So if you did have someone with really, really elevated secretory IGA, there can be like some some better, more safeguard uh, compounds that would would be better in this instance, whether it was really, really high because you would say uh, glutamine when the secretory IGA levels are really low is going to be a lot better because they're just really struggling to produce secretory IGA, not someone who has is like overproducing secretory IGA for whatever reason, whether they're highly stressed, okay, because, you know, emotions can really increase like secretory IGA production, like, you know, fear and anger and sadness, okay, there's a lot of that going on in the world at the moment, yeah, okay. Um, you know, or you have more pathogens and microorganisms, so you're having to produce more secretory IGA because that's the most abundant immunoglobin in the body and it's like like a mucilage, you know, okay? It's like a protein molecule and it raises to the apical part of goblet cells, yeah, okay? Uh, they're produced within goblet cells and when it raises to the apical part of the, the goblet cell, yeah, okay, it's a little bit like a venous flytrap and it traps in pathogens and microorganisms, yeah, okay? And so you would say if that's too enheightened, yeah, okay, you don't necessarily want to take like high-dosage glutamine. Now, once again, I'm saying that glutamine can be really good to actually help to lower, you know, the the the, the pro-inflammatory cytokine mm-hmm. activity, okay? But it, it, my point being is to get really like depend on the the individual, okay, mm-hmm. with something like, you know, goat's colostrum, which sort of work, works on both sides of the fence and it actually helps with immunoglobulins, okay? It's got proline peptides and proline peptides are like key building blocks that you need for the, for the epithelium structure. That might be, uh, you know, a, like a safer bet in that instance. So someone, okay, so someone's listening to this and they want to, they want to bomb-proof the epithelium. So a few things you've mentioned so far. So glutamine can help, colostrum can help. You mentioned amino acids. Are, are there particular foods that these amino acids are found in? Should someone just go get an amino acid supplement? What else can we use to really um, fortify epithelium? Well, once again, it's just like, you know, what I was talking about with um, gut-associated lymphoid tissues, what they found is some of these amino acids like glutamine, uh, glutamate, yeah, okay. And I'm not, once again, I'm not telling people to go out and just start taking glutamate, yeah, okay, because definitely people can have like too much glutamate activity. I'm just telling you some of the things that they've found that can actually help with gut associated mm-hmm. lymphoid tissue. Methionine, cysteine, okay, the supplemental form of like cysteine would be, you know, uh, like the L cysteine is like uh, N acetylcysteine, and that's why that can have some obviously it's a mucolytic agent, so it's got benefits there, it's got huge benefits to the brain, okay. Um, but you could take L-cysteine, okay, that could help, okay. Um, you know, arginine, yeah, okay, and, and threonine. So some of these things have actually been found to, to, to help with gut-associated lymphoid tissue. Now, obviously, we can start to get a lot of these amino acids. I'm not saying that you actually need to directly use the amino acid uh, therapy itself, like the individual amino acids, okay, but we could start to use things like slow-cooked meats, yeah, okay, because we're covering a lot of those, you know, the slow-cooked meats are very high in a lot of the key building blocks that we need for connective tissue and especially like epithelium, like hydroxyproline, proline, glycine, okay, and even like the, the animal protein in that is going to be high in things like glutamine and methionine, so arginine. So you're going to get a lot of these key amino acids that you you need for the 
for, for the epithelium, okay, but also what you need for gut-associated lymphoid tissues, so bone marrow, uh, bone broth, all those types of things, okay. Um, just, you know, once again, we're just saying like give the, give the gut the building blocks that it requires, okay, to actually help with the, the structure because you're helping with one of those key defense mechanisms, okay. Um, and so when you do get exposed to something like a virus or an antigen or, or a pathogen or whatever that might be, okay, the, the, the foundations are already in place. I mean, that's the key thing that we're, we're trying to get across here. So what impact will that ultimately have then? Okay, so someone's doing all this, they're taking, they're having bone broth daily, they're having slow-cooked meats, um, you know, they're making sure they're getting these amino acids you've mentioned. Maybe they've done a, a cycle of glutamine, maybe they're using carnosine, zinc carnosine and all these different compounds. To to like how protective is that going to be? Someone now becomes um, you know, infected with a, a viral infection or they get some kind of infection, they've really been taking care of the epithelium, what can they expect? How much of an impact could that actually have? Yeah, well, well, once again, it's you, it, like if I just use the example of that, like, you know, that cytokine storm, okay, like if you're, if the epithelium structure, and once again, you are giving it the building blocks and so forth, okay, is in better, better order, okay, essentially what you're doing is you're going to lessen the cytokine storm. Okay, that's mm. essentially what you're going to do is you're just helping to, to, to mitigate it. I'm not saying that there's not going to be any like your know, antigen or antibody response or immune response. There's not going to be a production of cytokines in that, but then you're able to, to, to lessen the collateral damage, okay, by giving once again, okay, because we need to understand, okay, that there's lots of things that can deteriorate that connective tissue and deteriorate the epithelium, okay? And so we need to constantly be... Um, sort of rebuilding it, okay, um, just like we need to, like, you know, rebuild things like muscle and tendons and ligaments, yeah, okay? Yeah. Well, the same thing, okay? It's just connective tissue, okay? It's not an indestructible object, okay? And you need to be constantly giving it the building blocks that it requires for repair and replenishment, mm. yeah, okay? Mm. So, and then the, the, the way to look at it, yeah, okay, is that if you're starting to look after these epithelium, just when it comes to immune response, um, you know, if we look at an area like the small intestine as a bit of an example here, okay, and once again, you've got all these different types of epithelium, and I'm not going to bore people to tears with all the different types of epithelium as much as I might want to do that, yeah, okay? But you've got a particular type of epithelium, they're called panacea cells, okay? And if you did like a cross-section of the small intestine, okay, it's a little bit like waves, okay? And they're the villi and then the epithelium, what we're talking about, and the brush borders sort of line the waves, yeah, okay? Uh, and at the base of those waves, they call it the, the base of the intestinal crypt is where these panic cells are, okay? And panic cells, because they're sort of protected there, okay? And so one of their roles is to produce these molecules, okay, like secretory phospholipase and lysozymes, and they deal with the pathogens, mm. okay? But as long as, like, we're, we're, we're protecting the structure of the panic cell, okay, because if these – if the, if the villi, like we're getting like villi atrophy or crypt hyperplasia or these types of things like deterioration, okay, or the villi and the epithelium, well, you can affect the panic cells. So also you're going to affect your ability to produce these molecules like lysozymes and secretory phospholipase to deal with the pathogens and the microorganisms. So that's why, once again, it's really important. If you look after the structure, okay, the immune response, okay, is all is going to be looked after as well. Now we've touched on a few different supplements, and we'll towards the end maybe we'll recap and we'll go over a bit more um, of an overview of other supplements that may be beneficial in this realm as well. 
Um, well, I think it's important to, you know, sorry to interrupt, mate, but I think it's important to say what well, we, we talked about the physical barrier, yeah. okay, and that's one component of that innate immune system. And, and, and another component is, is just the white blood cells, mm. okay? And so what we can talk about here is like, you know, stem cells, look, looking after the stem cells, okay? Um, and the way to look at it, like, and this can be quite technical, okay, but you, you, you do have like stem cells and this sort of breaks away and you've got uh, lymphoid stem cells and lymphoid stem cells, they actually help with lymphocytes, okay? And within lymphocytes, you've got all these different types of lymphocytes, okay, like, B cells and T cells and natural killer cells, killer cells, okay? And uh, on the other side, okay, we've got myeloid stem cells, okay? And when myeloid stem cells, you've got, when in relation to your white blood cells, you've got granulocytes. And examples of granulocytes are um, like monocytes, you know, neutrophils, basophils, eosinophils, okay? And I think what, you know, what we, what we want to say here is, well, what are the building blocks that you need for this? What are the building blocks that you need for your stem cells? Okay. What are the building blocks that I need for the lymphocytes? Okay. What are the building blocks that I need for the granulocytes? Because we're always going to say that if you want to help with immunity, we'll just make sure that you've got the building blocks in place. So on bloods, Dave, this is one of the most common things I see. So you've mentioned different white blood cells and neutrophils, monocytes, eosinophils. I almost always see low neutrophils almost always, I'd say four out of five times neutrophils are low. Now, neutrophils are the most abundant white blood cell, yeah? And so what what impact is that going to happen if someone's got low neutrophils? Yeah, well, so neutrophils are, are like those granulocytes, okay? And they're part of like, you know, what Jake is saying is like that innate immune response, okay? And they make up anywhere from 50 to 60% of the, the total white blood cell count within the body, okay? And we need to understand from the stem cells, okay, so, um, and, and a, lot, a lot of these white blood cells are produced within the stem cells within the bone marrow, yeah, okay? They say about 80% of your circulating white blood cells are coming from the, the stem cells in the bone marrow, okay? And obviously one of the major ones are the neutrophils, okay? And the neutrophils mainly get sent to the gut to fight off infection in the gut, okay? And actually like an overstimulation of neutrophils, okay? You can even get like, like intestinal neutrophil-mediated injury, Okay, so they actually, when they're overstimulated, okay, they can actually permeate up through the intracellular type junctions and cause more epithelial permeability in the gut lining. So your own immune system can damage the gut lining, okay, but I'm not saying that's bad. Okay, I mean, I'm just saying if it's overstimulated all the time, okay. But you can imagine if we're putting a lot of the a lot a lot lot of pressure on the, like the neutrophils because we're overstimulating the immune system all the time because there's high amounts of antigen response and antibody response taking place in areas like the lungs and the gastrointestinal tract okay over time okay exactly what jake is saying is you're going to get things like what they classify as neutropenia okay now neutropenia you know sounds really you know terrible yeah okay (laughs) but neutropenia like really is just low neutrophils okay um and so you might be diagnosed with neutropenia but it's more important to understand why do you have no neutrophils Mm. yeah okay and just exactly what jake is saying i'm just saying like all the time when we look at blood markers, uh, neutrophils are just always low, okay? And I'm saying, of course, there's exceptions, okay, where they, they can be optimal, okay? They can be sometimes on the higher side and that, that could be an indication of some other well, things Well, that's usually the on. exception, isn't it? If you don't see yeah. them low, they're normally elevated. Exactly, and that can definitely be a sign of, you know, like potentially like things like LPS, lipopolysaccharides and negative gram bacteria conversation for another time, okay? But, yes, they they, 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 they tend to be on the – on the lower end and the, and the 
if you look at it, once again, if they're part of that innate immune system, okay, essentially what they're doing is they're exhibiting, okay, so they're identifying, okay, they're engulfed and they're excreting, yeah, okay. And so really if you if you do have low neutrophils on a frequent basis, well, that innate immune response is down, yeah, okay. And then we can have it in, in a lot of instances where the person like the, the neutrophils are low end, the lymphocytes, which is to do with the acquired or the secondary line of defense, that's low, okay, and that's going to be obviously a sign that, person has immunosuppression mm-hmm. yeah okay um and then obviously with that if you're more immunosuppressed then you're going to be more prone to pathogens and microorganisms mm-hmm. and you're going to be more prone to like gastrointestinal problems because you can't fight off a lot of these uh pathogens and and uh, foreign foreign microorganisms so if that's the case and someone does have low neutrophils they've got low lymphocytes um like you said this is going to be more of like an immunosuppressed state well is the answer to that to get a vaccine? How does that impact? How does that how does that play into any of this? Is that is that going to solve suppressed immune function, or what part is that working on as far as immune system goes? Yeah, I mean, obviously, like you know, what I want to talk about more here, okay, is that it, it comes down to what I said previously in terms of are you better to to, to focus on like the you know the, the virus itself, okay, or there's just the fact that you are going to get exposed to many types of viruses, yeah, okay, and for priming of the immune system, we are meant to get exposed to, to viruses and so forth. But more for me, it's that the priming of the area that interacts with that virus, yeah, okay, like if we can, you know, help to restore things like the gut-associated lymphoid tissue, okay, the epithelium themselves that are interacting with the virus, okay, and also giving the the body the the key building blocks that it requires to actually help with stem cells, the synthesis of white blood cells, yeah, okay, Uh, things that even govern the immune system, okay, then you're actually preparing the body for when it interacts with the virus, okay, and that it's just going to be a little bit more like a speed bump rather than, uh, you know, rather than a mountain, okay. Um, and you know, in this instance, yeah, okay, um, you know, so it's more about like laying the foundations again, okay. And if we look at something like, you know, how do we help the stem cells? Well, a lot of things in stem cell therapy is is all about vitamin A and vitamin C, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Uh, you know, vitamin A is one of the key building blocks that we need for stem cells, that we need for uh, lymphoid stem cells and myeloid stem cells, okay. The issue here is the fat soluble vitamin. Uh, if you've got issues with things like bile. Yeah, okay. Well, you're going to have problems absorbing, okay, like fat soluble vitamins. Now, also issues with the gut lining, which is quite ironic, okay, because vitamin A is actually required for the mucosal barrier, okay. And if you have certain types of bacterial issues, you know, like negative gram bacteria, okay, even things like SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, then you can actually have issues with a lot of these fat soluble vitamins, yeah, okay. Um, and so that really, and also, you, you, you know, maybe you're not eating uh, like food sources that are very rich in vitamin A, okay, and then, then you might think that you can get it from, you know, uh, particular plant sources which are very high in beta carotene, okay, but then also, you know, a lot of people carry the BCM01 gene, where 45% of the population carry that, which means they don't convert beta carotene into vitamin A, and also your ability to convert beta carotene into vitamin A is also dependent on saturated fat as well, yeah, okay? So if you're not getting enough saturated fat, then what my point being there is, like, do you know if you're getting enough vitamin A, okay? And then in that instance, you might have to get it from, you know, particular animal sources, uh, and those animal sources are things like cod liver oil, mm-hmm. okay? You know, a lot of like uh, slow-cooked meats and more fatty meats can be a little bit higher in like vitamin A, okay? Uh, and obviously, 
one of the richest vitamin A sources is liver, so awful organ meat, yeah, okay? So, you know, my point being is that you just want to make sure you've got the building blocks, yeah, okay? Um, are you getting – do you have enough vitamin A? Okay, now also vitamin C, yeah, okay? Well, vitamin C is required for the synthesis of white blood cells. This is interesting because vitamin C is also required for the repair of collagen, yeah, okay? Um, and if you're highly stressed, you're definitely putting a lot of pressure on vitamin C, okay, because vitamin C – is a key cofactor that we need for things like catecholamine. So I'm talking about things like epinephrine, norepinephrine, okay, dopamine, yeah, okay. And if I'm in a stress state all the time, okay, like cortisol, the highest amount of uh, vitamin C stores are actually found in the adrenal glands, okay. So my point being is you can be putting a lot more pressure on vitamin C and even when you've got blood sugar management dysregulation, okay, because that can actually affect your ability to uptake vitamin C within the cell, yeah, okay. So vitamin C is just really important, for, especially for things like lymphocytes and the synthesis of white blood cells, okay? And then also another key building block is B9, which is folate, yeah, okay? Um, and if you have, you know, uh, issues with microbiome, that might be like E. coli, Escherichia coli, okay? Well, E. coli is actually required to actually help for the, with the synthesis of B9, okay? And also you could have like methylation issues, uh, which is, you know, 30% of white Caucasian people carry some variant of the MTHFR gene defect, yeah, okay, which means you struggle to take folate and convert it into methylfolate. That's definitely going to affect things like your red blood cells and your white blood cells like granulocytes, okay. I won't go further than that with the methylation issues, okay. But, you you know, there's all these different building blocks, and I know one that you, you've researched pretty heavily, okay, is also vitamin D, okay, because vitamin D just like governs your immune system. It just like governs your your, your, your white blood cells because vitamin D, when it gets converted into its more active form within the kidneys, okay, it actually allows you to produce antimicrobial peptides and the antimicrobial peptides help you to fight off bacteria, okay? Um, but what happens, once again, if you're, you, you've got these constant bacterial issues and so forth, then you can be really putting a lot of pressure on vitamin D. Interesting enough, vitamin D also protects the mucosa, Okay, and if it protects the mucosa, now we're talking about gut-associated lymphoid tissue again. Okay, so it stops like pro-inflammatory peptides and pro-inflammatory proteins getting down the intracellular tight junctions and damaging the mucosa. That's how important vitamin D is for the immune system. Okay, um, and yes, we could talk about you know people not getting enough sunlight and all these types of things, and maybe they're not getting it from like animal protein sources, like obviously you know liver, um, offal, organ meats. Yeah, okay. Um, but also it's just a case that um, we're just also putting too much pressure on it, mm. yeah, okay? And that's just constantly driving the vitamin D levels down within the body, okay, because we're really not what cleaning up what's going on within the gut and, and with particular bacterial issues. So there's a lot there. So I think what would be helpful maybe is if people are following along, if they pulled out their blood test, they could start to get, if they've done blood tests, hopefully everyone has, but they can start to get some information about maybe where to focus on quite easily. So you've mentioned about fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin D, the importance of these. If, you know, hopefully people have tested vitamin D, not many people are going to test vitamin A, but what we could start to assume is maybe if they look at their bloods and they've got issues there with lipids, maybe cholesterol is high or low, triglycerides are high or low, bilirubin might be elevated, say above 14 or 15. Um, maybe they've got low vitamin D as well, optimal for vitamin D is right above 120. 
millimole per liter. If they're seeing 120 plus, a lot of people will probably disagree with us on that, but I think it's definitely better to be on the higher, higher end from, from my perspective. Yeah. And some people would say even higher than that. And vitamin D is fascinating, like you said. And, you know, there's some clinics in the world that are actually using very high dose vitamin D therapy to treat autoimmune conditions, any autoimmune condition with incredibly high success rates. So there's there's a lot to look into there. But if someone's seeing this pattern, low vitamin D, high bilirubin, lipid issues, there's probably going to be issues with other fat-soluble vitamins as well. So that might be an example of where maybe vitamin A would be a good idea as well as vitamin D. And you've mentioned cod liver oil. That's an example of, of a really good source that will give you all that will give you vitamin A, it'll give you vitamin D. You'll need to go higher dose. One tablet a day is not going to do it, but that's going to start to give you some of those building blocks. Or maybe someone pulls out the bloods and you're seeing um, maybe globulin is low. So that's total globulins. And so you say they're below 24, 23, it's on the lower end. That's probably going to suggest maybe there's an immunoglobulin issue. And so in that instance, maybe glutamine, like you mentioned earlier, might be a really good thing to, to include, maybe more amino acids. Um, and then white blood cells, maybe they look at white cell count or, or neutrophils and they see neutrophils are low. Usually, I'm usually seeing it in twos, you know, it's, it's, it's not often I see it above 3.0. So maybe they're seeing it and it's, it's in, the, in the twos, low twos, mid twos, even low threes is, is probably lower than we'd like to see it. And so maybe that's suggesting to them what well, there might be some kind of chronic gut infection going on, something within the gastrointestinal tract they need to pay a bit of attention to. So you can start to piece things together a little bit and know, okay, this is the next step for me this is because there's a lot there to focus on but if we just focus on on a couple of steps at once it might make it a little bit more palatable a bit more manageable um where what do we and 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 well and also like you know the one thing we said like we've we've talked about the innate immune system mm. and I'll, I'll definitely try and keep this a little bit more simple okay but then you've got the acquired immune system mm. okay and the, it's all it's sort of like there's two parts to the acquired immune system as well okay um, and what you've got here is like B cells, okay? Um, and I sort of like mentioned B cells, okay, because B cells, they allow us to produce like those uh, like protein antibodies that attach to something like a virus, yeah, okay, and sort of like label it, okay, and like tag it, yeah, okay? Um, and so they deal with like foreign mic uh, uh, microorganisms and like antigens, yeah, okay, and that's essentially what antigens are, like foreign microorganisms, yeah, okay? And a big thing that I want to talk about with like B cells, yeah, okay, is is to do with gut associated lymphoid tissue, okay, because that's where we yes we've got M cells and M cells they're like sort of transporters, okay, they transport like the antigens, yeah, okay, um, and then within there you've got B cells and you've got T cells, yeah, okay, and so what what do you think I'm going to say here, okay? Well, you really want to look after the gut associated lymphoid tissue. You, you want to look after the mucosa, okay, and and guess what? That's going to come down to what we we're talking about with the amino acids again. <laughs> Okay, and you know, like once again, something that can be really amazing for this can be like uh, like goat's colostrum. Okay, once again, immunoglobulins, proline peptides. Yeah, okay, and goat's colostrum. When you've got a lot of this, like sort of like cytokine storm taking place, goat's colostrum would be amazing for that. Okay, mm. the other one that you know, I, my, myself and Jake have probably been talking about a little bit more uh, recently is something like lactoferrin. Okay. I know you've done a little bit of like research on lactoferrin and just to understand that your body produces lactoferrin, okay? It's actually classified as a globular glycoprotein, okay? And it's it's like a cytokine, okay? And essentially what it does, it actually helps to keep in in, in check and the, the balance between the, the bad bacteria and the good bacteria. That's a 
realignment process, yeah, okay, and actually helps to produce like toxic. Uh, it's it's like toxic to uh, things like pathogens and and um, and and microorganisms, yeah, okay. So you say like it's a, it's it's a key player in the in in the immune response, yeah, okay. Um, and if you've got like in that instance when you've got like more of a cytokine like cytokine storm taking place. Okay. Well, you would say potentially something, and I don't know how you feel about this, Jake, but I would say potentially something like lactoferrin in that instance, okay, where there's a lot taking place, yeah, okay, there's a high engine response, well, something mm. like lactoferrin could be something that could definitely help with that. Mm. Yeah. And absolutely. I think they don't they talk around like, you know, like potentially you could take like 300 milligrams, like three times a day, like up to 900 milligrams, yeah, okay. Um, and on top of that, you know, something like goat's colostrum, okay, well, that's going to be really good for that, yeah. okay? Um, and then is it like I know like you've read some stuff on lactoferrin, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean, in terms of dosaging, have you, have you read much around like the dosaging? No, I haven't seen a whole lot of studies where they specify dosing. There's, there's obviously a lot more on colostrum and, and that's something that I just want to mention because there was actually some studies where they compared its efficacy uh, to things like like vaccines. And so there was one study, albeit it was a small study, but they were comparing colostrum at, at very small dosages, um, about I think it was less than one gram a day. We would normally use, what, about 10 grams or 8 grams a day, so very small doses. And they found that it was triple as effective than the flu vaccine at actually preventing the flu. And, and such as, and that was, that was bovine colostrum at, it was 800 milligrams. So, you know, there's, and there's other studies I've seen where, where they found similar, um, similar results. It wasn't triple as effective, but they actually found that uh, in, in combination with the vaccine, it significantly increased immunity against the flu. So it's something that, like you said, A, it's so safeguard and B, it's got such a significant impact. And then like, you know, in relation to what we're talking about, like with the gut associated lymphoid tissue, with the gut associated lymphoid tissue, a big component of that is secretory IgA, okay, is immuno, immunoglobulins. It's the predominant immunoglobulin within gut associated lymphoid tissue, okay? And it's like pretty much like first line of defense, okay? And I actually know, like, in some instances, you know, um, some of the smartest brains I think in the world, like, you know, um, Dr. Joe Dispenza, okay, like Bruce Lipton, a lot of the time when they're checking like immunology for people, the one metric that they're actually checking is secretory IgA levels, okay? Um, and so, you know, something like uh, ghost colostrum can be really good for actually helping with the with that particular immunoglobulin, okay? And that's, you know, it's really prevalent, that immunoglobulin is really prevalent in things like tears and saliva and mucus, okay, snot, yeah, okay? And obviously the highest amount of mucus you're definitely going to find within the lungs and within the colon and the large mm-hmm. intestine, because in those areas you've got goblet cells and goblet cells produce like mucin, they produce secretory IgA, okay? So, People will notice actually if there is an IgA issue, an SIGA issue, often they'll notice dry eyes or irritated eyes, dry mouth, or sometimes even like post-nasal drip, maybe they eat a certain food and then they get a dry mouth after eating that food. That's really common. I see that in a lot of people. And then you, you go and you take something like go colostrum and within only a a week or a couple of weeks, they start to notice that the dry eyes are better. They're not experiencing the dry, the dry mouth anymore. And they start to notice that change pretty quickly. Yeah. And, you know, and then another component of that, and, you know, we can definitely keep this one pretty simple. Another component of that acquired immune system is just the lymphocytes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, 
when we're talking about the lymphocytes, there's one thing that's really, really important here and like like vitamin C is really important. Yeah, okay. So of course we can talk about like supplementation. Yeah, okay. Um, and that you could use something like a liposomal vitamin C. And the good thing about like a liposomal vitamin C, I mean, it gets obviously uptaken, it's droplets, it gets uptaken a lot more efficiently. Okay. And obviously, like I said, like vitamin C is a key cofactor that we do need think for things like epinephrine and norepinephrine and dopamine and uh, and, and cortisol, okay, so you're going to help from that perspective, yeah, okay, but, you know, the vitamin C is also going to help with the repair of connective tissue and collagen as well, so it's actually going to help with um, the gut lining because it is connective tissue, but obviously help with other connective tissue areas as well, okay, or potentially you could just take like a natural vitamin C, something like a kakadu plum or something like that, mm. Um yeah, like, like vitamin C is something that you can um, um, utilize just to actually help with that part of the acquired immune system. Mm. And there's a lot of uh, functional doctors who are using very high dose vitamin C if someone does have an acute infection, a viral infection. Um, you know, it's even been used in things like cancer therapy at incredibly high doses, things like 50,000 IU a day or 50,000 um, milligrams a day via intravenous injection. So there's, there's a lot of really interesting data on on using vitamin C when it comes to immune response and infections. Yeah, and I like look. I'm sure we'll just mention this, and we won't necessarily go into a lot of depth. But you know, any type of like gut permeability issues, okay? Um, you know, and obviously what we're talking about here is intestinal permeability, and obviously there's many different types of damage here. But if if you've got like gut permeability issues and so forth, then you tend to have problems with things like short chain fatty acids. And so you actually get a decrease in short-chain fatty acids. Well, you know, and these are things like acetate, propionate, and butyrate. When you look at butyrate, or well, butyrate so important when it comes to immunity because not only does it it, it's, it reduce the inflammation uh, in the intestinal cells, okay, but it actually helps to increase T regulatory cells, and T regulatory cells, okay, allow us to recognize our own immune system and protecting us from like autoimmune diseases, yeah, okay. So, you know, any type of gut permeability because also gut permeability increases translocation of bacterial byproducts, okay? And then if we're increasing like translocation of particular byproducts, like things like LPS, just as an example there, okay, that raises, and I, I think I mentioned this before, but it raises like uh, toll-like receptors, okay? So it's just rate, it's raising like inflammation, okay? And they've actually shown that a raise in like toll-like receptors and so forth, okay, well, that could actually affect even things like um, you know, how people respond to things like influenza, okay? So our ability to respond to these types of things, okay, can be severely compromised, okay, when there's more of this like permeability and higher amounts of translocation taking place. So what I would say there is like anything that's actually going to help with the intracellular tight junctions and the tight junction proteins and quercetin, okay, um, with a combination of zinc alcarnosine, uh, especially when it comes to strengthening the immune system, I don't think you can go wrong, okay. And the combination of those two together, okay, um, is, is, is a pretty potent duo. So should we give people a bit of a cocktail maybe? So what would be some things if we're talking just in general to support immune function? We've touched on a lot of them so far, but let's put them all into one, one place. What kind of things could people be looking at supplementing with or, or eating? to just support overall immune function? Well, look up, look after the place that interacts, okay? Like lay, lay better foundations, okay? And so things that are going to help with laying better foundations, quercetin, 
it stabilizes mast cell activity. They've done lots of testing with people with chronic asthma, which essentially have epithelial permeability within the lungs. Okay. Um, and so, and you got well, even like, you know, because like that got gold, got associated lymphoid tissue, that has a transference over to what they call BOLT, okay, which is bronchial associated lymphoid tissue. So it's going to help with the lungs. Mm. So whatever you're doing with the, with the, and that helps with your ability to respond to respiratory, okay, like uh, illnesses, okay. So um, even things like NOLT, which is nasal, okay. So, um, so yeah, like the um, quercetin, okay, um, really good for stabilizing mast cell activity. And what we're talking about here is like histamine activity, okay, um, you know, and also helping with the intracellular tight junctions, the tight junction proteins. So we're talking about like structure, okay. It's a powerful flavonoid, antioxidant, okay. Um, so I think that's a no-brainer, okay. And something like zinc alcarnosine, which obviously was designed to help with like peptic ulcers, Okay, and now we're talking about like damage to the epithelium. Okay, that's damage to the gastric pits in the stomach lining. Yeah, okay, um, so that's going to help with the structure as well. Yeah, okay, um, and so that combination of quercetin and zinc alcarnosine together is very, very beneficial for the immune system as well. So, dosing okay? of both of those. Do, look, do, once again, like dosaging can really depend on the individual. Okay, I don't know where you stand with the with the dosaging. Like, I'd look, I'd, look, I don't like throwing out dosaging where a lot of the time, like, it, it, it depends what I'm seeing, what's going on with the individual. Okay, um, so I, I'm I'm happy to share what I would normally do. I mean, personally, I do about a thousand milligrams of quercetin twice a day, um, and then trying to get like a bioavailable form. So a phytosome is okay. Dihydrate's a little bit better. Um, emic is better still. Uh, and then for zinc L-carnosine, obviously that would change a little bit depending on um, on the company you're using and how much carnosine is going to be bound to the zinc. But I'm normally using about 15 milligrams of zinc twice a day when it comes to a zinc L-carnosine. So that would, uh, I believe that would provide about 150 milligrams of carnosine, but I'm not entirely. Uh, yeah, I'd, look, I'd definitely say with something like quercetin and, and you, you, you know, for it to really have the impact that I'm talking about, you know, um, in that 2,000, okay, realms, like 2,000 or over yeah. for some individuals, they may need even a lot more than yeah. that, yeah, okay, so 100%, yeah. yeah. Um, and then obviously, you know, with that, you know, like goat's colostrum, yeah, okay, um, you know, most of the time I just like to use powdered form and sort of even just like my base dosage would be like one teaspoon, you know, I guess that's close to like, you know, three grams, um, um, maybe a little bit over, okay, like one teaspoon twice a day. Um, yeah, like, you know, even though I mentioned things like lactoferrin, it wouldn't be like a base one that I would use for, yeah. for people. That would be more if there was more of that cytokine storm like taking place, okay. Um, you know, I, 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 it's probably important to, to mention that there can be some bacteria strains that can actually help in this instance. Mm. The one that I'm actually – quite fascinated with is like more like bifidobacterium okay because bifidobacterium does actually help to to uh you know stabilize like you know uh pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory responses taking place in the body and they've actually bifidobacterium uh, longium i know you and me were having a discussion mm. about this the other day not in relation to what we're talking about now but uh, bifidobacterium longium they've actually found that there's a, there's a uh, like a protein i think it's called fn3 and that protein is expressed on bifidobacterium longium and they actually found that it binds to TNF-alpha, okay? So if it binds to TNF-alpha, okay, that actually means that it actually helps to – because that's a key 
pro-inflammatory protein that you would get in the cytokine storm. Okay, so then it could actually help to lower okay the cytokine storm activity. Okay, and I'm not saying that's conclusive, but I'm just saying bifidobacterium has got other benefits on top of that. Okay, so maybe just purely using like a, a bifidobacterium okay could actually help with that. Now the other one, well, I'm just mentioning this, but you know, uh, bacteroids fragilis. They've actually shown that that actually helps to restore you know pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory immune cell response. The re- only reason I wanted to bring that up is because now that they're actually finding that people just have lower levels, yeah, okay. And I know this seems really weird, okay, but the, maybe with certain types of bacteria, are we facing like even like an extinction, okay? Like, are we just not getting exposed? To, I know, I know that sounds really weird, but it's possible because if we're not uh, interacting and we and we're not getting a lot of diversity, and then the actual terrain is breaking down then it's possible that we're just not getting exposed to a lot of these bacteria, mm. and that could definitely have ramifications in terms of how we deal with inflammatory load within the body. Mm. Um, Dave, so you mentioned vitamin C. So dosing for vitamin C, would you say people are better to get it out of food or are they better to take it as a supplement form? You mentioned liposomal. You, you always use liposomal over like an ascorbic acid? Uh, look, I have the tendency to the, the two major forms of vitamin C that I would use would be like, yes, liposomal. And look, most of the time if I'm seeing people having like catecholamine issues, like low catecholamines and issues with dopamine and mm. um, like adrenaline and noradrenaline, okay, and, you know, issues with cortisol, then I'm more likely to give them a liposomal just because of the uptake, okay. Um, obviously, you can get that in like spray. You can get it in like just uh, just take it like a, like a, a teaspoon, like off the spoon, okay. Um, so once again, I just really assess it according to the individual and I'm so sure that you're the same, but maybe if it's just more that someone needs to, um, you know, they might have a little bit more dysbiosis and so forth, maybe I'm just going to go for, you know, like a powdered, like, uh, you know, um, food source vitamin C, like something like a kakadu plum or something like that. So it really just depends on the individual that I'm dealing with and, and, and what the issues are. Mm. Kakadu plum is an Aussie, Aussie food, which is Nice and nice and cool. Maybe OVC's listeners won't be familiar with that. In fact, a lot of Aussies probably won't be familiar with kakadu plum either. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't. I, I don't know. Like, I think uh, they might have had some issues with the crops, like uh, not long ago. Find, was yeah. at one stage it was, and well, at one stage it wasn't that easy to get. Yeah, okay, but it definitely is a good, uh, you know, natural source of vitamin C. Mm. Um, anything else important? You mentioned obviously bone broth earlier on and slow cooked meats. Is that something people should be consuming every single day? Can you overdo it? How much would you recommend? Well, a lot of people obviously talk about like, you know, obviously the, the slow cook processing of like, um, you know, cooking the meat for, for that long and then it's, you know, higher in histamine. Okay. But, you know, we just got to understand that like when people do have like, you know, deterioration in the gut lining and we, we need to help with the connected tissue. Okay. Well, really, you know, we just got to give them the building blocks. Okay. And the good thing about like, yes, it's high in histamine. Okay. But once again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to just address histamine and just, you know, negate anything that is high yeah. histamine. I'm trying to fix the issue, okay, because we, we need to understand that histamine is produced and broken down in the gut, okay. So if you've got hi- issues with histamine, then the gut is the issue, yeah. okay. And so really I just want to give them the building blocks and that's got all the building blocks that we need. It's got glycine, it's got hydroxyproline, okay. Um, it's uh, like even like, you know, a lot of the meat, like glutamine and arginine, okay. Um, yeah, and, and, and uh, yeah, 
I'm pretty sure I said glycine. Maybe I already yeah, I said that. You so can't. daily, Dave, um, like are you, yeah. are you, how much do you have? How much bone growth do you have? Do you do this daily? Do you do it multiple times uh, Once a again, it's just like answering this, like answering that. It's just, look, it depends on the person. You go <laughs> like initially if someone, I know it doesn't answer questions because everyone wants like an exact answer. I'm not always like an exact answer type of guy, okay, because it, a lot of these things do depend on the individual, okay, and for some people, have I given them slow-cooked meats every single day? And some people are going to go, oh, it's a lot of histamine. I go, well, trust me, this person is in such a bad way, okay, that they just need these mm. building blocks. They just need these building blocks too much, yeah, okay. And, yes, initially I may give them like things like bone broth and slow-cooked meats every single day to try and speed up that process, but it's not a long-term thing. Does that make sense, okay? And then maybe maintenance-wise, there's a couple of days because I tend to get them to have that for breakfast Okay, and there's a like you know maybe two or three days a week they're having some like slow cooked, um, you know maybe they might have bone broth, you know every second day. Okay, but once again it just depends on the individual. Personally, I try to aim for about ten percent of my daily protein target in collagen. So if I'm hitting about two hundred grams of protein, I'm aiming for about twenty grams of collagen. Now I'm not saying that that's anything special, um, and it's it is a bit of an arbitrary number, but that's personally what I shoot for. So that would be like, is, is there anything we've missed? I think that's sort of like the, you know, that's the big soup, okay? And, you know, um, like I really do believe if you, if you, if you start looking after the, the area, the foundation that interacts with foreign microorganisms and viruses, yeah, okay, that you're setting yourself up for success, mm. Mm. okay? You can just, there can be the avoidance scenario, so just avoid, 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 yeah, okay, or they can be prepared. Mm. And it's, it's just such a different conversation, isn't it? It's not a conversation I've heard in the mainstream anywhere over the last year. Um, you know, the, the conversation is always how do we avoid, how do we eliminate, how do we, you know, close ourselves off from this, but it's not a conversation over how do we actually fortify ourselves, fortify our own immune function, and it would change so much, you know, and it, and it means that ultimately we don't need to be fearful of, of other things and fearful of each other and fearful of, of, you know, when we eventually come into contact with something, it means we can actually have a little bit of um, faith in our own immune function. And of course, if you, if you're going to have compromised gut associated lymphoid tissue, you're going to have a compromised environment. Mm. Okay. You're going to have a compromised uh, immune system. Okay. And so you just look, you, you need to give the body the building box that it requires to start to restore this. Yeah. Okay. And then you can increase that immunity. Yeah, that's good. Thank you so much, Dave. Thank you for the chat. I think we should go <laughs> get some slow cooked meat on the uh, on the cooker. And um, I never say no to slow cooked meats and uh, like you know bone marrow. That's a, a pretty regular occurrence in our household. So uh, you know Bianca's always cooking up some uh, pretty mean bone marrow. Happy days. Happy days. Okay. Well, thanks, Dave. Until next time, we'll talk to you later. See you guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in the gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.